So yeah, this morning uh, we're doing a series, Awesome God. And uh, we're just expanding our view of God, growing in awe of God, in his awe of his sovereignty, holiness, faithfulness, power. I missed the one after that because we were away. But uh, I, I'm just, I'm convinced, I know that if our circumstances challenge our view of God, we can't limit him. We have to expand our view of who he is. And today we're doing justice, justice. Uh, and uh, I'm going to just do it in three sections. Um, I just want to look at our sense of justice. Do we have any sense of justice? I want to suggest it's hardwired into who we are. Then I want to look at the God of justice and how justice is an integral part of who God is. It's foundational to everything about God and his kingdom. And mercy is a hallmark of his justice. And then as we finish, I just want to show how we're recipients of his great mercy. Though we speak about him judging, we are recipients of his great mercy, and that challenges us. We don't need to do anything, but will we respond with mercy because he's shown it to us? So if we start then, uh, the question is, who are the heroes in your house? Do you have any love of justice? So um, in my house, um, my wife and daughter <laughs> rule the TV a bit, I have to confess occasionally. And uh, NCIS, top left, that would be their thing. Uh, probably a bit of castle, uh, occasionally Hawaii Five-0, don't mind that. Um, I may be more like Sherlock, you know, I, like, I think Sherlock's good. The latest ones are brilliant. Uh, it's, uh, you know... Uh, FBI stuff, Bones, Criminal Minds, Law and Order. There's just so much justice on the TV, isn't there? I mean, what do you watch? Do you, do, you, do you watch any of it? Do you get the, the ones in the corner down there? Um, there's a film as well. Um, our film and media is saturated, saturated with justice. We love a hero who will come and dispense justice. And my kids love it. At the moment, uh, it's none of those, it's Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda is big in our house, and my kids will finish watching TV, and then it's like, it's all this karate goes on as they come to the dinner table. Uh, and Kung Fu Panda's slightly clumsy, not so elegant or smart. He loves noodles and dumplings, uh, but he also has this dream of Kung Fu. Uh, and his dream's really big, but his stomach's a little bit bigger for the noodles and dumplings, and somehow through, I don't know how, uh, but he becomes a kung fu master. I think his, his guru taps into his love of dumplings, and he performs these amazing feats of gymnastics, learns kung fu catching dumplings. Um, and there's this scene where uh, he, he actually beats uh, this gang of, of uh, warriors who come to uh, sort of inflict trouble on the village, and he kind of uh, rescues everyone and saves his dad's noodle bar, and then uh, some of his real kung fu masters with him introduce him uh, to the bad guys as the dragon warrior. And uh, they go, the panda? Poe? It's impossible. And uh, Poe says, my fist hungers for justice, and his stomach growls. And, uh, you know, there's always this element of uh, the failed hero. We want to do the right thing. Uh, and, but even in our film and media, there's an element of, you know, humanity that creeps in with its Spider-Man or something else, wrestling with it. 
But justice is something we all understand. Do I need to tell you what justice is? Fair play, being fair, fairness, fair-minded, even-handed, impartial, lack of bias, objective, neutral, lack of prejudice, the quality of being fair and reasonable. And for society to function, we, we want it, don't we? We want the organizations of justice, police, security, courts, crown courts, judges, magistrates. Right? It's an assurance to have that. My kids, as young as they are, the moment they start moving around and doing stuff, they're into justice. Dad! And then there's this tale of injustice that usually starts with my son's name and some thing that's gone on in the house. Uh, I have to step in. Um, but you know, we're outraged when some MP claims thousands of pounds to fund his duck house on his lake. That's your taxpayer's money. That's, it, we're disgusted when Lance Angstrom's career crashes down because he's been doping all those years in cycling. Shocked. And then we're really quick to vilify someone like the bankers. Maybe Fred the Shred Goodwin, former RBS boss, earns 20 million and leaves the taxpayer with a massive, massive liability, partial cause of the financial crisis. We want justice hardwired into who we are. So justice is second nature. And then we have complex ways of establishing it. Crime agencies, courts of law, punishment systems, DNA, video surveillance, traffic cameras, everywhere we try and enforce it. And the question is, do we always get it? Does man always do justice? Is there ever any injustice? We struggle. We struggle to do the right thing. You can find a load of cases, uh, I didn't even want to put them in really, of, of terrible injustices that occur. People who get imprisoned for years for the wrong thing. Why do we have this need for justice and why does it not work all the time? Every culture sociologists have observed has a sense of justice. They have some sense of law and order. And where does it come from? Why? Um, there's possibly society evolves and we have this mutual agreement because we all want to get on. Maybe that's it. Uh, evolution. We, we have evolved a solution to deal with our natural condition of fear and conflict. Maybe it helps us evolve. Possibly. But you see, nature itself is really unfair. Uh, a fox eats a baby chick and only the fit survive. There's no sense of equality in nature. The environment that we come from is not just. There's a mismatch. Why do we have this hunger for justice? In a really depressing, devastating, dismantling of life, the book of Ecclesiastes says this, I saw something else on earth. In the place of justice, there was wickedness. In the place of fairness, wickedness. And the psalmist in his worship called out, surely, surely there's a God that does justice. Surely. Do we ever hunger for a bit more justice? Scripture says so much that 
Man was created in God's image to reflect him. Genesis 1.27. You're his image bearers. He planted in you a complete sense of what's good and bad, what's right and wrong. You're hardwired because you reflect God's image. But man willfully chooses to pursue his own desires, the corruption. In this picture of Adam and Eve in the garden, they pursue their own desire. Chaos emerges. Man defines good as what's good for me. What's right for me first. In Scripture, we have a succession of leaders, prophets, then kings, who try to rule the people. They try to lead the people. Some are good, some are great, and some have no interest at all in doing what God requires. And God doesn't stop. Though we see his wrath and his anger, he doesn't stop for a moment trying to help man in giving man an explanation of what he sees as good. He speaks continually. We have promises at the beginning. Then we have law. Then we get prophets. Then we get wisdom. God just unfolds more and more and more about what he requires, what is good, what is just, what is fair. Proverbs 1 verse 3, in the introduction to the book, it says this. This is wisdom. He says, For acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right, just, and fair. When I was uh, a student, um, I was a postgraduate university, my uh, university lecturer liked art. And uh, we went away. He loved modern art. And uh, we went away for this international conference, kind of really cool uh, trip we did. And... uh, we visited this business contact he had in the city and, and we walked to the reception, met him and to his office down this long corridor, really flashy building, glass and whitewashed walls, real nice. And along the walls there's these canvases with splashes of colour, just stuff. And I, that's all I can describe them as. And, and my professor had these massive big hair and huge wild beard and these tiny glasses and he's looking all the way and he's going mm, mm, mm. and he's looking at these things and he's going ah bacon sandwich drink and I just had no idea what he was talking about and my host is is going yeah mm, mm, yeah wonderful and uh, modern art uh, 15 years later uh, or more, actually. I, I, have, I just have no idea what that was like. I still can't work that out. But I like this picture, and uh, I just want to show it now. And, and I want you to think about it. I liked it for its simplicity, because there's four elements in this painting. Only four. It's a bit dark, so I'll just describe two. The crime is on the floor, thrown on the rocks. There's a mortal wound and his blood pours into the ground. The criminal is fleeing the scene with the weapon. He, he glances back, and he, he's desperately trying to escape the crime. And uh, he's hoping that, that the man is dead. And there's two above him, kind of in the air above. Can you, can you see those two elements? Any idea? Anyone good at art? Because Can you understand who they are? Who is looking down and pursuing? 
This is a, a painting that was commissioned in 1804 to hang behind the judge's bench in the criminal court, the high criminal court, the criminal tribunal in Paris, the time of Napoleon. And uh, the painter w- was, was commissioned to do this. He knew where it was going to go. And the uh, two people above are justice and divine vengeance. Vengeance lights the way with a torch and justice pursues with a sword and some weighing scales. And it sent this message. This is, this is what the uh, painter said. that The message was that the course of justice is relentless, if at times slow. Justice will be served. It's relentless. It's coming. It's coming. It will be served. Sometimes it's slow. The painter says, divine justice is forever pursuing crime and crime never gets away. Wrapped in the veil of night, a remote wild place, voracious crime has killed a victim. Fool. He does not see that his nemesis, the agent of justice, like a vulture descending upon its prey, is pursuing him. It will catch him and hand him over. So a question. In that courtroom... Does true justice always prevail? Did justice always prevail in that Napoleonic court? Why would the painter invoke the divine? Why did the painter look in the court, the jury, the judge, and then look up and beyond to the divine? We have a God of justice. Our God loves justice. Isaiah speaks in 61 verse 8, God loves justice. Not only that, God's ways are just. Deuteronomy 10, 17 said, He is a God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. He shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Deuteronomy 32.4 His work is perfect. All his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Job, even in his affliction, called out, Truly, God will do no wrong. The Almighty will not twist justice. Again, Deuteronomy, everything, everything he does is just and fair. He's a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? He also rules and judges fairly. He's not just judge. He rules. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. Equity being even something more than fairness. Not only does he, not only his ways just, not only does he judge, it's the absolute foundation 
of who he is and what his kingdom is about. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. The very foundation. And in this picture of the man running from justice and vengeance, God says this. To me belongs vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. The day of their calamity is at hand and the things that shall come upon them make haste. The painter was right to invoke the divine because God is all about justice. Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He owns justice and vengeance. But justice might not be swift. We might sometimes feel the pain of an injustice. I don't know what there is that you've experienced. But whose justice do you prefer? Does man's justice suffice? In that court, would you just look at the judge? Or would you for a moment look beyond and look up and hope for more, something more? We're urged in Timothy 2, 1 to 4, 1 Timothy, we're urged to pray for government. It's absolutely a God-given institution. It's critical we pray for our government, our leadership, that there would be peace. But do we want more? Genesis 18, 25, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Is that your hope? Do you trust God's sense of justice? What does God's justice look like? The book of Isaiah invokes for me the Christmas story, but uh, it's just a, a powerful passage of God's justice. And it's a prophecy about his son and his son's kingdom, the kingdom that God has already founded with his throne that is based on justice. For unto us a child is born, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. A son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Charles Spurgeon said this, God in his infinite mercy has devised a way by which justice can be satisfied and yet mercy will be triumphant. Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father, took upon himself the form of man and offered unto divine justice that that was accepted as an equivalent for all the punishment due to all his people. 
God's zeal for justice is so great, he had to deal with the complete corruption and evil of man. So passionate is he, he sees every tiny injustice that we live and do and is around us. Genesis 6 8 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race was. That every inclination and thoughts of the human heart was only evil. But you see, God had no heart to unleash vengeance on man. God's justice was instead served through his son. He made a way for man to be just before God, justified. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And though Hebrews says it is appointed for men to die once, then comes judgment. Romans 10 says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ suffered once for sins. The just suffered for the unjust to bring you to God. You're not just. Not everything you do is just. But God has given you a way to be justified. Know him. Make your peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Accept God's justice in the form of his mercy to you, Christ Jesus. There's not a religion on this earth that will give you that. So last weekend I said that we were out at a festival and I bought this awesome t-shirt and uh, we had a really great time. It was really fun. Uh, just a really tremendous time with our friends. And uh, some, some guys here were there. And uh, we ate really well. We had this big picnic thing. And we, we kind of had loads of food. Um, someone's kid ate all my Pringles. Um, he's got this perfectly sized arm to get in a Pringle tube. I, I never realized that. <laughs> and uh, we, we had this picnic blanket out. We, we've eaten really well. We're relaxed. We're listening to this fantastic live music with our friends. The sun's out. It, it was just tremendous. And uh, uh, well, I'm full. And uh, Tear Fund were involved in this concert and they made this appeal. And uh, I'm standing there and, and there's a tug. And my daughter is tugging my hand. She's pulling my hand. And she's like, Dad, let's go. Okay, what? what's going on? Let's go. And she's excited because she's watched the video. And Tear Fund are raising money for a, th- a million, a million meals because they've seen the injustice of hunger that is unfolding at the moment in Africa and elsewhere. And uh, this is it. My sermon's ringing in my ears about justice. I'm thinking about it. I'm just turning it over and over. And uh, as my daughter pulls my hand, I'm like, oh, man, hassle. A standing order on my bank account. Ah, it's just I've got to go sign up for something. Um, You know, how hard... I am 
to injustice. And my daughter is just so excited when we signed up because I just loved her excitement to do justice. That's all she wanted to do. And uh, she gets this meal ticket. And the next day, this is what you get back from Tier Fund just to engage you in the event. And the next day we went and, and cashed in this meal ticket. No, she had no idea what this was. We went to the Tier Fund tent and uh, she gets this thermos cup thing. It's like a, uh, a hot mug that keeps your hot drink warm. And she gets some seeds because the, the appeal was about how they have to dig seeds from ants' nests. And uh, we can plant these seeds. And she comes back. I make her a hot chocolate in the mug because she's excited by it. And uh, one of our friends asked her about the mug. And she says, well, the children are hungry. And you can give five pounds, ten pounds, twenty pounds. And we get five, but you can give more. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, man. <laughs> Well, yeah, Dad, is that all? Is that all? What's my heart for this injustice? Because my daughter's right there. There's a massive note of question in her voice. Dad? We're so quick to call on God, quick to reassure ourselves of his justice, Reassure ourselves that we've received his mercy and justice. Reassure ourselves that God will put the world to rights. We rely on it daily. But God's heart is so great for justice that he identifies himself with his cause. Psalm 68 says, in speaking of who God is, he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. So what's required of us? We've received so freely. Micah 6 verse 8 says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what's good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Tim Keller says this in his book, Generous Justice. I really encourage you to read online some of Tim Keller's work on this if you've got any heart for social justice. If a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace, his mercy in his heart, he will do justice. If he doesn't live justly, then he may say with his lips he's grateful for God's grace, but in his heart he's far from him. If he doesn't care about the poor, it reveals that at best he doesn't understand the grace he has experienced. And at worst, he has not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you just. He says again that a lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that your assets are not yours, but God's. It would be trivializing it if I talked about a financial cause. We have even hunger and challenges socially around us. But it's not just about money. It's about giving generously in every way. Do we live mercy 
and justice every day. It's not just simply stinginess. It's unrighteous when we are not just. Do we give any of our time, our money, our service to acts of justice? The Sermon on the Mount, some of the greatest moral teaching, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. James 2, 1-9, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Just challenge you this morning to think about how you can be just this week. How you can show God's mercy because you've received it fully. Thank you. Shall I just pray to finish? Father, I just give you thanks for your outrageous, outrageous gift of justice to me. I am not just. I don't for a moment think that I am just. My heart is sometimes so hard to every cause around me that you have on your heart. Just this week, open our hearts to your cause. Each one of us, you have given a cause. I don't know what it is, Father, so I just pray. I just pray that you soften our hearts to your cause this week. Let each one of us know what cause you've put on our hearts, what situation we have this week to show justice, to show your justice that we have already received through your Son, Christ Jesus, that we would do your good work that you prepared for us. Amen.